Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Um, as Pastor Marsha said, on Mondays we start with, we do corporate prayer. We also do prayer in the mornings here on Sunday morning. So for those of you guys who want to come in earlier and be praying over the service, we, in the, the most spiritual way possible, covet your prayers. We need your prayers. We love your prayers. We are asking God to do something unconventional, and that is this. Don't doing church like everybody else. We're asking God to do it his way. Um, you know, it's interesting because he asks us or tells us how the, the, the model to pray. Uh, and one of the big things is that not my will be done, but your will on earth as it is in heaven. And what we want to do is every single week and every single day, not, not strive in the bad context, but actively participate in doing things his way. And we don't always hit the mark. Can I get a witness? Not just as a worship team, but as people. This doesn't just go here on Sunday mornings, but this goes on Thursday at the office too. We want God's influence everywhere we go. EJ wants it. Amen. Um, But here's the thing that I've realized is that where heaven is, resources are. Where heaven is, healing is. Where heaven is, peace is. All the things that you're looking for that are currently in heaven, the Bible very clearly tells us is that we want to be on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, I was thinking about that this morning because that gives us permission to not hope for a one day, but to enforce a today. Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray a prayer that was completely pointless. So if he's asking, and I don't know where this is coming from, if he's asking us to pray that specific prayer that we would experience heaven on earth, that tells me, EJ, that it's possible. And here's the other thing. It's not just possible, it's probable. My son is going through school and they're teaching the differences between possibilities and the probabilities and trying to figure out those. So I'm, I'm walking him through the odds of this and the odds of that and explaining that there's a huge difference between possibilities and probabilities. Quick example, did you know it is possible that as we are sitting here, an airplane engine can fall off of a 747 and land right in our office? It's possible. Is it probable? No. Is it possible that you're going to go home today and when you get out of your car, trip over a big hunk of gold that you never saw before? It's possible. But is it probable? The difference is is that Jesus isn't asking us to pray things that are possible, he's asking us to pray things that are actually probable. That if we do things his way, it's not just a hope, I hope it can, but it's a, this is most likely going to happen. And that's what a very specific prayer life does, is it takes things that, well, God's the God of the impossible, and God, all things are possible, but the question is, is have we limited our faith to all things are possible, or have we found ourselves in a place where when we pray, it's probable? That's the difference between praying, hoping and a wishing, and praying with a conviction. Prayer with a conviction looks at things as, it's possible when I pray. Praying just hope and a wishing is praying something that, eh, it could, it couldn't. You know God, it's whatever. And then when it doesn't happen, we always make this phrase, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Because we put our faith that it probable 
probably won't. But a person of faith takes things out of possibilities and slides their beliefs in the probabilities of something. So as we are praying and as we are seeking God, don't show up on a Sunday going, well, it's possible that God could move. No, no, we shift that into it's probable that God will move. So I want to be there when he does. That's a freebie. Let's go back into Acts, shall we? Acts chapter 13, I'm gonna back up a second and we're gonna attack this mountain from a different way today. We've already gone through a lot of Acts 13, but we're gonna back up. Hey Josh, let's go back to mm, Acts 13. I don't know, what's a good number? Let's go, let's go back to 35, shall we? I don't even know what 35 is, but let's see what we got here. Okay. Acts 13, 35 tells us this. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, remember, Paul is giving a, 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 a message, a speech, if you will, a dissertation, if you want to be a scholar, to the people about who this Jesus is. Okay? Therefore, he says in another psalm that you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid amongst his fathers, and he, David, went away to decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. I love this because it tells us that Jesus is not falling apart, but is very much put together today. Because when something decays, it falls apart in your hands. Uh, back in December, my wife and I went on a, a, a trip to Colorado, and in that, we got to go snowmobiling. Now, snowmobiling is amazing. It's more or less like a jet ski on snow, and you are just going to town. My parents go, hey, you want to use our, our equipment? And I'm like, I'm cheap, absolutely. So we get up there, and I go to put my dad's goggles on, but they have been dry rotted out because they've been in the attic. So when I put them on, it just decays on my face. Like, just all the foam, I'm like, oh, what just happened? This is, it was like trying to put sand on, it just fell apart, like mesh all over it. See, this is the thing. Something that is dead and decayed falls apart when you touch it. On the outside, it looked absolutely okay. But the moment I touched something that is dead and decayed, it fell apart in my hands. This is a key reason why when Jesus shows back up in, in the book of Mark and John and in Matthew and in Luke, to Thomas, he says, touch me. I'm not decaying like everything else. And here's the other thing, is that when you touch him that is not in decay, it tells me that he still has the same power, just like the woman with the issue of blood when she touched him. A God that is not in decay is a God that still maintains all power and authority. Jesus is not decaying his uh, his power is not decaying. It is not falling apart when you touch it. It's not so fragile that if I bump up against it, I'm going to break something. And this is how we have what is called audacious faith. A person with audacious faith can run up to him and bump into him without the fear that they're going to break him. 
Can I tell you, God is very, very old, but he's not fragile. He has always been and will always be and has maintained his strength throughout all time. And he is not concerned that you have to be careful. You know when you would take your kids to go see their grandparents, when their grandparents or their great-grandparents would get up in age, you'd have to be like, whoa, slow down, slow down, don't, don't go jumping in Paul's lap or Mimi, like whatever it is, because you are concerned for their well-being. But God looks at you as Abba the Father and says, come on in. Run. Why? Because he's not decaying. And I love this because if he's not decaying, that means he is welcoming you to come and touch and see. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, somebody. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you. If you have a Bible or a pen or an app, highlight those, those, those words right there. Let it be right there. Let it be. This is not the Beatles song, but it's an important part here because I love this idea because he looks and says, therefore, and a great seminary professor of mine says, if you see the word therefore, you need to know why it's therefore. So he's looking and saying, since he has no decay, therefore, in other words, that means let it be known to you, brethren, that through him the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed. See, to the Apostle Paul at this moment in his life, he looks and says, I deduct that if God died and is alive today, therefore that means he is the promise. And if he is the promise, therefore he has the ability to cast out all my sin. Can I tell you, you don't have to leave your brains at the door when you're studying Scripture. Faith is not meant to be something that I don't connect my, my mind to. Faith is not meant to have this, oh, I don't know, it just says, and, and you're running around like completely oblivious. The Apostle Paul here begins a deduction because he is alive and he does not decay. That must mean that he is God. That must mean, based on David, that he is forgiving my sins. That must mean I am now righteous. You know, it, it is the, if this plus this plus this plus this equals, and I know some of y'all in here aren't big math fans, but here we are, is that if we can look at what he is doing, we can understand where he's going. And if we can understand where he's going, we can connect our current trajectory to where he's at. It's the, it's the gravitational slingshot. Uh, you, you know, when you are trying to, uh, and, and Mr. Carr will, will understand this a lot better, but when you are trying to go somewhere, sometimes they will not turn the spaceship around. They will slingshot around the moon to pick up more momentum using its gravitational force to build speed. It's free speed. They're not burning the engines so that they can be slung slingshotted back to where they're supposed to go. And this is what we're doing today is this big idea that we can look at where God's going and begin to take his word and slingshot our lives to speed up to where he's at. And so when we're walking through this book right now, we need to understand your thought process is extremely important because I want to connect my heart to my head to see the things change. Amen. This idea, let it be known, 
is a Greek word that is a command. This isn't a suggestion. It's a, this is a command that through him, the forgiveness of sin is actually happened. And I love this because this word sin here that is used literally conveys the idea of missing the mark as when you're hunting with a bow and arrow. I just cut, see, I, I got ahead of where you were going. <laughs> Here's the thing that I've realized, that it, with this connotation of missing the mark, of using your bow and arrow or your spear to go after something, hunt. Uh, Matt, you do bow hunting, right? Yeah, have you ever missed? Yeah. Kansas is like all the time, I wish you know. Um, you, you have these moments that you miss. You, you, you do this moment. So this idea of the forgiveness of sin is, is such a powerful thing because it doesn't just mean that he said, it's okay, I love you anyways. What he does is he puts the spear back into your hand and says, take another shot. As if it never happened. The forgiveness of the sin that he's walking through with this analogy is just like a good father will, will, will teach their kids how to shoot the bow and then he'll walk back up, take it off, and go try again. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just look at you and go, you missed it? I mean, it's okay. And now every time you go outside, I want you to look at that arrow in the ground. I want you to know how much it costs me for you just to waste that in the dirt. No, he walks back, he grabs the arrow, puts it back into your hand, and says, take another shot. Have you ever wondered why it seems that we go through the same circumstances over and over again? And then we go, God, I'm so sorry, forgive me of my sins. Okay. Try it again. I did it again. Okay. Try it again. How often does he tired of going and fetching my arrow? He doesn't. That's the beautiful part. He's trying to connect you to something here. He's trying to let you understand that you may miss the mark, but there is a person that is going to fetch the arrow for you and come back and say, try again. Because he's wanting a, 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 the, the, the son or daughter of God, one of those two, you, you don't get a fourth option or a third option, a son or a daughter of God to begin hitting the mark. And then all of a sudden you hit the mark and he goes, good job, new target. So we don't get frustrated in the context of beating myself up and throwing my bow on the ground and going, I screwed the whole thing up. No, that, that, but that's what, that's what religion does. Yeah. And see, that's what shame does, is you go and you take the shot and you miss, and, and the religious people look at you and go, don't you ever pick up a bow again. Do you, do you see what you did? Do you see you just missed it? Do you see you, well, I tried. It doesn't matter, you failed. So I want you to retire forever and every time you drive by, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take your bow, and we're going to take your arrow, and we're going to hang it up for the world to know how horrible of a shot you are. But that's what religion wants us to believe is supposed to happen. 
But that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to convey here. What Jesus is saying is, keep the bow, I'll get the arrow, and you can get another shot. See, if you're ever continually being reminded that you've missed the shot over and over and over and over and over again, it's probably not God reminding you. Because there's a forgiveness of said sin. So let's take it back now for a second. Therefore, if he forgives of, of our sin and he puts the arrow back into our, 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 with our bow in our hands, therefore, he is telling us to take another shot. And if he's telling us to take another shot, we are supposed to understand why we missed the shot the first time. So instead of just throwing our hands up in the air, maybe what we're supposed to do is to look back at our missed shot and go, why did I miss that shot? Not how horrible of a shot I am. I can't believe I'm so dumb and so stupid and such an idiot. No, no, no. We're supposed to look back at our game film and go, what did I do wrong? And then you learn from that and you make an adjustment. See, that's what repentance does. Repentance goes and makes an adjustment. Repentance isn't snapping the bow and arrow of your leg and going, forget it. Now I'm righteous and holy because I quit. No, what, for, what, what repentance does, it goes, well, I was a little low, so I'm going to go up a little higher. Whoop, now I overshot it. Now I'm going to go down a little bit. Oh, I'm too short. And you're continually to find that. See, sin is destruction and sin is death. But can I tell you, sin has met its match when you get the arrow back. So now... We don't have to live our lives perpetually in fear that our missed arrows are going to condemn us to a damnation in hell. But now we have the opportunities, okay, to take another shot and adjust our approach. Because that's our, our options of God, no? You have this God, option A, that has unlimited arrows. And he's sitting there, Scrolling through TikTok, just handing you an arrow, and handing you an arrow, and now you have all these arrows shot all over the place. Then he goes, ah, who cares? It's not a big deal. The other option is this God who is standing there breathing over your neck. I got to play basketball with my daughter yesterday, and she would do these. If I make this shot, Dad, then you have to buy me something on Sheen. Okay, if I make this shot, and so I'm like, I'll play that game. If I make this shot, you're doing the dishes. And, and so, bruh, one-handed three-pointer, skadoosh, right in. And you watch her go, oh. So then it was her turn. Now, I didn't want to buy anything. So can you kind of guess what I would do? Don't judge me. You weren't there. Her cart's got $700 worth of stuff. I can't afford that. So I walked up behind her, and I just hovered. I didn't touch her. I just hovered. What I did was I was in trying to intimidate her to miss her shot. Oh, it worked like a charm. <laughs> and then she started getting really close, and so then I started smacking the ball. Um, so, like, so I'm standing there with her, hovering over her going, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. There's a lot of line. Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. Oh, you missed. Well, that stinks for you. Because that's the other version of God. The other version of God looks at us and he's hovering over us like hoping that we fail so that he can make fun of our shot. But then there's a third who's watching you. He's with you and he looks and goes, oh, 
And then he walks over, grabs the arrow, brings it up and goes, let's talk about what happened. God created you to use your brain. If we're not using deductive reasoning in our personal lives and in our spiritual lives, we will perpetually lead around the same mountain for the rest of our lives. Matt's a hunter. I would imagine that when he's gone out, he's probably had target practice either in a field or at his house, and he's honing in his shot. I got my son, that's two years ago, I got him at 22, um, and we put a scope on it, and we're trying to adjust the middle of the scope so that it's dead, dead on. And we get it so accurate that we put playing cards on a wall, and we begin to play games. So we're, we're, can, I, can I put it through the five of hearts? And, and we're beginning to call our shots because we honed in. But you know the first shot went in the dirt, the second shots go above, the third shots go left, and, and, and so you're beginning to tick, what happened, tick, and we had a spotter that would sit there and go too far left, too far right, too high, too low, oh, that's it, oh, nope, you, you, you over, and you're sitting there adjusting your shot. This is what repentance is supposed to be. The idea here is this. A lot of times they say repentance is a 180-degree turn of what you just did. I don't think that's a fair assessment because a lot of times we sin and we don't know exactly what we did. Is that, am I the only person that's that ever happened? You just know you did something wrong. Well, how did I get there? And so then you begin to use your brain. Just like if I'm aiming down the scope and it's too far to the left, I'm going to make an adjustment. And that's what our walk with God is, a perpetual move of adjustments. No longer do we live now in the condemnation of all of our missed shots. We now live in the empowerment of adjustments. That through him, Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You were once stuck in your perpetual misses, but now you're free. For the first time in the history of humanity since the Garden of Eden, you are freed, and not only freed, but now you are justified in this relationship because you believe. I love this idea because we no longer have to live in a, a shame-filled, doubt-filled condemnation. In the law of Moses, it was, it was shown that we all needed a savior. But if I can be a little, give me some, some flexibility here. It also showed how great Elaine was compared to how great Alan is. And it seems like a lot of times we lived our lives on a curve scale. And that's why you're seeing them talk about, I tithed on my mint. And I they're, they're, what they're trying to do is outdo each other. So when God's judgment comes, he goes, you're not perfect, but you're no EJ. 
Therefore, I will pass my judgment onto somebody who's worse. But when Jesus came, he looks and tears the whole system apart and says, you are all equally forgiven if you believe. And in verse 40, it says that key word again. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of the prophets may not come near you. This is an interesting part for me because what he does is he pivots. He pivots his message because at first he's saying there is a forgiveness and a justification and a righteousness available for you through this man, Jesus. Therefore, since there is something available, there's also a judgment available. Your life is full of choices. Perpetually. It's always going to be choices. It's always going to come down to left or right, blue or red. It's always going to have this choose one of the, there's no such thing as spiritual Switzerland. You can't stay spiritually neutral. You have to choose a side. So what Paul is saying is, therefore, if you choose this, there's greatness. But if you don't choose this, it, it's, a, it's a sense of a human's right to choose. And he says, take heed. In other words, beware. Caution. Behold, you scoffers and marvel at, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, even though someone should describe it to you. I read this. I'm going to read this, this section for, of, a, of an illustration that I saw. It says, this was sharply underlined for me a few years ago. Sitting on my study one weekend morning, I suddenly heard out in the auditorium a woman's voice shouting and crying out. I came out to see what was wrong, and I found a young married woman whom I recognized, for she has been in my studies for just a week before, walking up and down in front of the cross. She was looking up at the cross and crying, yes, there is a God, yes, there is a God, and yes, he will forgive me. I know he will, I know he will, I know he will. She was in a spirit of torment. Isn't it interesting sometimes, Paul, that a religious act that can seem religious can actually be from a tormenting spirit? How is that so? How can the enemy take something that is meant for a connection with God and pervert it so greatly. It looks godly, yet it's so demonic. How? I'll propose an option for you. This is not biblical. I'm walking away from my Bible so I don't get struck by lightning. This is what I'm going to propose of an option, a theory, not scriptural. It's a theory. You with me? God creates all things good. Everything is fantastic, and we know that a third of the angels fell from heaven. How, then, did greed and, 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 and perversion and unholiness and all these things come about? I propose to you today that God created said angels to be perfect, yet they chose the opposite. So therefore, therefore, when you're dealing with a tormenting religious spirit, its original intent was to draw you closer to God, and it's masquerading like that, but its true heart now is perversion to make you think you're doing something holy, yet leading you astray in unholiness. 
And this is an important part for my life because when I begin to look at what's going on in me personally, I now have an opportunity to look back, step away from the, an attack or an issue or whatever is going on, and I go, what is coming up against me? Is it perversion? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Is it whatever the temptation is? And I get to pull back and go, your original intent wasn't like this. Therefore, get away from me, you unclean. This is why the Bible says when you resist the devil, he flees. How does he flee? Just by saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. No, he flees by you looking at him going, I know what you were called to be, and you're not that. Therefore, leave. Because angels are supposed to be what ministering spirits. So if it's called to minister and it's called to draw me, and it's called to do those things, if it decides to take the opposite approach, its ministry now is to lead me and to draw me in a different direction. And now we fight. We fight because we can now identify what is light and what is darkness. And you don't have to fast and pray, and you don't have to do a dance, and you don't have to do all these crazy things. All you have to do is to identify the temptation before you and laugh and go, you have no rights here. Be gone. Therefore, I invite Holy Spirit with what is supposed to be drawing me to come. I don't care about the scoffers and markers. All right, verse 42. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people were begging things, them to stay and be spoken again in the next Sabbath. Verse 45, skip ahead. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and contradictions and blasphemy, and they opposed the things by Paul. They did this because Paul began to have these crowds. Remember, religion wants to now condemn. And, and I love it that they begin to attack Paul. They begin to mock Paul. And they begin to, to speak things. It doesn't say, listen, listen to what it says. On the Sabbath, the whole city came together. And when the Jews saw they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Here's the kicker. They begin to call Paul a blasphemer. I, I love this because they attack the messenger. If I can discredit the messenger, what he says has no ability. You ever notice that in politics today? How often do they attack the idea? Or do they attack the person who's giving the idea? I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Or even if you're doing your own thing. Nine times out of ten, they don't attack the idea. They'll just try to discredit the person speaking the idea. Because if I can discredit Elaine, in your eyes, everything she says is wrong. All right, let's just make everybody angry. Not everything the Republicans say are wrong. And not everything the Democrats say are wrong. But the idea is, if I can get you to hate that person, I hate everything. So now we can bring this into the church world. I had this conversation with a young man recently. He goes, hey, Pastor P, what do you think about, and he gives me this preacher's name. Okay? Enter preacher. It's a setup. It's 100% a setup. 
It's a setup because now I have the ability to go, oh, this guy's a joke, whatever. And now I am discrediting everything good and bad, he says. Versus, what do you mean? Well, what do you think of him? Think he's a human being. Like, what, are you asking me to talk about the person or do you have an example of what he said? Because I can separate my love for him away from the things that I disagree with. And this is where churches have fallen apart because we have lost the ability to disagree but still honor. And this is what they're doing for Paul, discrediting the person so that the, everything he says seems false. So I sit with this young man. I'm like, what did he say? Well, you know, like when he preaches, like some of the things he says, right? I need more an example. Not because I'm trying to be mean, but I'm trying to drive home this point that not everything he says is wrong. Not everything he does is wrong. I may not like his style, and there are some things that I will wholeheartedly disagree with, but I don't have to hate him. But this is the marker of what's happening in our world today, and it's the same marker that happened 2,000 years ago. Hate the person so much that you close your ears from anything good they may say. Okay. And, and it says this in verse, I don't even know where I'm at anymore, 36, 46, sorry. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Whew. Remember that whole, therefore, they chose a side. Behold, we'll turn to the Gentiles. So the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified at the word of the Lord. And, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life has believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up a devout and prominent women and the chief of men in the city to raise up persecution against Paul and Barnabas to expel them from the region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with the, joy, with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I love this. They didn't let a negative experience deter them from a positive message. How much time do I got? We'll go for it. I feel like I've earned enough getting out early credit to be a little bit later. All right. Verse 1, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so they spoke to a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks, and they believed. But when the believe, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren... Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Let's just pause right there. If you have your Bible, open up that part. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. This is in verse 2. Speaking boldly in the Lord. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. Paul and Barnabas just got ran out of one city. They went to a new city they saw conversions take place. And the Jews of that day did what? They ran them out of the city. And then it stops for a second, and it says this, 
Therefore, they stayed. They were persecuted, but they stayed. They were ridiculed, but they stayed. They were chastised, but they stayed. There is this moment here that I believe was a pivotal moment. That little verse is skipped by so many times. That they said, enough is enough. And they stayed. There has to be this moment in every single person's life where you look at it and go, I'm not going to run anymore. Therefore, they stayed. There's a story of a man named David. He goes to bring his brother some cheese. David sees the armies lined up against each other, and a man named Goliath comes out, blaspheming God, blaspheming Israel, calls him everybody a name, and then makes this statement. You send your best to fight me, and if I lose, we'll serve you. But if you lose, you'll serve us. David now walking around going, what in the world is going on? His brothers, his big older brothers, his mighty warrior brothers are now cowering in their tents. And David's going, what in the world is going, this guy, this, this is what, this guy, this guy? How about we all just bum rush this one guy? He might get one or two of us, but, and they look at him and like, no, we can't do this. This is what's going on, yada, yada, yada. And so then it comes to David's ears that if this person fights and wins, not only do they never pay taxes again for their family, roll tide, <laughs> but he also gets to marry the king's daughter, which then makes him royalty. Mind you, this same young boy was just prophesied over not too long ago that he was going to be the king of Israel. But how could that be? Because I'm not royalty. How, how could I ever become a king? Because my family is not royalty and, and I'm not that important. And now you're telling me God's word has an opportunity lined up that if I just do this, I get grafted into royalty and I can now see a pathway to the destination that God has for me. So he turns and looks and goes, I'm sorry, can you say that again? I think I blacked out. And they look at him and repeat exactly what's going on. You don't have to pay taxes for you and your whole family. You get to have uh, gold and you get to marry the king's daughter. And he looks at there and goes, give me my stuff. And his brother said, shut up. Shut up. You idiot, you can't. He has been training since his birth. He's a giant. You are a shepherd boy. You can't do it. And what does David do? He says this one phrase that you can never let go of. And this phrase is this. Is there not a cause? You're going to tell me that there's not a reason to risk it? There's not a reason to go out there. There's a cause. There's something bigger than the chances of my demise. Because there's this moment that David looks and goes, the reward is so much greater than the risk here. 
So he goes and he slays this Goliath. And all of a sudden now we see Paul and Barnabas being attacked and being chastised and being ridiculed and doing all these things. And it says, and therefore they stayed longer. Because there's this moment that Paul looks and goes, I can't leave these believers alone. Their growth is more important than my ridicule. And therefore, we're going to stay. And here's where we close out today's spot. Yes, you will be ridiculed. And yes, you will have hard times. And yes, things may look bad. And yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And all those possibilities, maybe even probabilities. But my question for you now is, have you had enough? Are you sick and tired of living this life? And you can look and say, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for me to fight? Is my kid's future worth it? Is my spouse's peace worth it? Is my financial situation worth it? Is my health worth it? What is it that's going to arise inside of you to say, I'm sick and tired of sitting on the sidelines? I grew up on cartoons, the good ones. One of my favorite was Popeye the Sailor Man. Remember Popeye? Popeye and his spinach. I eat spinach today because of his cartoons. I'm 40 years old and I'll still eat and go, not yet. You got to love Popeye because every time he'd eat his can of spinach, all of a sudden he'd become this big had these monster forearms and arms. I'm pretty sure there were tumors, but they, they were still like these humongous, I want to get that checked out, my guy. But he, he, he would have this superhuman strength. But there comes this moment that he would look and go, I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. <laughs> and he'd pop that can, arms would get big, and he'd go beating up people. But the sad part is in the church, the spirit of Popeye is gone. And I believe with everything inside of me right now is going through this book. One of my biggest assignments is to awaken that again. This idea that I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. This idea that there is a cause to be something in the kingdom of God. This idea that I'm going to make a difference in my life for my kids' sake. I'm going to pivot and I'm going to adjust for my spouse's sake. I'm going to pivot and I'm going to adjust for my family's sake. I'm going to pivot and I'm going to adjust because there's so many people in the river region that are lost and dying and living this fake, phony Christianity. And I'm tired of sitting on the side lines and I'm going to stand up and say this is righteousness and this is holiness and this is purity not because I'm special and not because I've, I have a great degree and not because I'm more important but because I'm tired of watching all of this junk be shoved down and be pushed down and I'm tired of it and I'm going to stand up filled with the spirit of Popeye and say I've done all I can stand and I can't stand no more until you find that button you will accept everything. 
until you find that button, you will take the hits of the enemy and you will continue to cower. Until you find that button, you will forever just live on the sidelines and go, well, the world is what the world is. But the person who finds that button is the person who then begins, I'm going to now, and here's, here, here, here it is, I'm going to now begin to connect that heaven should be on earth. Because what I'm seeing is not heaven. And when you find that button, you can go, there's something wrong here. This isn't the way it's supposed to go down. It's not supposed to be this way. And I'm tired of it. I'm fed up with it. I don't hate the people, but I hate the message that's being taught. I love the person, but I despise the spirit that's controlling this. And I've had all I can take. I can't take no more. And I'm going to begin falling on my knees saying, God, bring heaven to earth. Because I'm fed up with this. We don't pray that God sends us to heaven. We don't pray that God makes it quick for us to leave. We don't pray for an off-ramp. But we look and go, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead isn't decaying, but is ever more alive in each one of us, therefore, I'm tired of seeing the darkness in my life. I'm tired of being tormented in my sleep. I'm tired of watching my kids go through life not knowing their purpose. I'm tired of seeing my spouse struggle all the time. I'm tired of living continuously with the same sins over and over. I'm tired of it. Therefore, God bring heaven to earth in my life first. Adjust who I am, Holy Spirit, so that when I stand out and I begin to do something else for you, that you continue to expand your boundaries. Holy Spirit, God, I just thank you that today I can be a place that you plant your flag and call your territory. Because where your territory is, there's the abundance of heaven. Until you find that button, it's just good talk. Until you find that button, it's a, oh, that was fun. But that button causes you to step out onto a battlefield. You know what's crazy? I, I would not consider myself a murderer. There's always a but though, right? But at 2 a.m. when my kids are home with me and I hear a window crash, I'm grabbing my 12 gauge. In other words, there is a line that I will cross to put somebody in the dirt, even though I may not want to. Right now, when my adrenaline and my fear kicks in, I will do something that I normally wouldn't do. But there is a cause. You know what my cause isn't? If I come home from church today and I can see my house has been robbed, I'm not going to find that person, hunt them down, go full, take in and try to bury them. In the, it's stuff. My, my cause for, for, for defending isn't over my things. But my cause is my kids. My cause to be something different than I am today is there. Just like it probably is for many of you. And so I guess what we have to pause and go, how much more junk in your life will you allow before you have a button push? 
how many more times will you allow your kids to be uh, uh, mentally and spiritually assaulted before you say enough is enough? How often will you allow the junk coming in and the junk perpetrating your life and your kid's life and your spouse's life? Will you allow this poison to stick before you go, there is a cause. But there's a cause for holiness. There's a cost, but there's a cause. There's a cost for purity, but there's a cause. And saying the most powerful words in the English dictionary beyond Jesus is no. Let me go back to Joshua. Joshua saw a cause. He saw a reason. He saw something worth fighting for. Homeboy in his 80s still could kick butt. But he looks and goes, you do what you want to do. I can't control you. But as for me and my house, you know who didn't say that, Dad? His kids. His grandkids. Amen. His, his spouse didn't say that either. Gentlemen, part of being a man, here we go. Back up a little bit. Is saying this is what's going to happen. We don't have to be mean and authoritarian, but we've got plenty of wives in here that maybe can shout me down, but there's nothing like a man to say, I'm going to stand up for godliness in my house at all costs. I'm going to lead my house at all costs. Joshua didn't go, I talked to my wife. She's running the Bible studies and praying. I'm, I said I would show up. That's all I can give her. Busy day, I'm going to show up. But it can't be longer than 10 minutes because the game starts. Joshua stands up and says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will take a stand. We will lead. Men, it's not male chauvinistic for you to take a stand in your house. It's not a bad thing for you to go, no, 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 no. We're not watching that junk. We're not listening to that junk. Men, it's not a bad thing for you to look and go, hey, I know y'all busy and y'all got homework, but we're going to read for a second. I want to read a Bible story to you. We're going to pray for 10 minutes. Dad, has you lost your mind? We're going to pray. This is how it's going to be. I'm bringing change into my house, and it's going to be awkward. I promise you. Promise you it's going to be awkward. Just like going to the gym for the first time in years is awkward. But the more you do it, the smoother your repetitions become. So men, you have to ask yourself, is there not a cause? Because I'm going to say something that you're going to have to answer, not to me. But is your wife worth it? Are your kids worth it? You will happily, here's the beautiful part, a man will happily jump in front of a car for his family. But will you be man enough to drop to your knees and pray with your family? As for me and my house, you make a call. Ladies, single moms, you take authority over your house. Notice I didn't, 
I didn't give any authority to any kids. We live in a world where, I don't know, ask the kids. Where do the kids want to go to church? Do the kids want to watch this? Do the kids want to do this? Because their complaining hurts us worse than us standing up. And when our generations are dying by the, by the tens of thousands and they're going to hell, I'm going to ask you this question. Was their lack of complaining worth their salvation? Was their <laughs> lack of aggravating you worth it? I've been working at this church a total of 15 years in June. I've had the privilege of working with my dad for a long time. Do you know in my entire life I've been fired twice, both times by my dad? I've had opportunities before I came here to make a lot more money than I'm making here. I've had opportunities after being here to make a lot more money than I'm making here. But there was this season of my life that I knew that I would never have another opportunity and that was to work and sit under my dad. And I had to make a call. Take the money and try to be my, live my best life or sit under wisdom and, take a, and count the cost. And I made that choice because I knew in the long run it was the best thing for my entire family. As for me and my house, we're going to serve. So men... I'm not even giving it to the ladies right now. It's your call. And I would tell you that when you go home, you're probably going to have a conversation. It's probably going to happen. Fair warning. So you've got the next 30 minutes of the drive home and lunch to come up with a quick answer. But here's the thing. What do we look at as a family to say that we have given up, that we need to reclaim? What have we done as, a, as men to not stand up for righteousness in our homes that we need to reclaim? You know, in the Bible, it tells us in Ephesians, it tells us that women should submit to their men. That's a fun verse in 2024 to preach on. Men love their wives as Christ loved the church. Okay? Women, oof, don't want to submit. No man's going to tell me what to do. Mm -mm. I'm independent. Another message? No, I'm going to sit on it for a second. Teaser. But men are supposed to love you like the church. Jesus dies for the church. So here's the questions for spouses, just because I want to start arguments. <laughs> men, are you a man that's worthy to submit to? Women, are you a woman that's worth dying for? And from there, we begin setting our life in order. What kind of man do I want to be? Because I want my wife to go, I don't understand, but I believe in who he is. And then she can have peace to know that I will do everything in my power to make sure that she's okay. And from that we will set aside our family and our lives 
and we will begin to build the church in our home first and it will spill over because righteousness always pours out. Amen. Amen. Is there not a cause? God, I just thank you that as we have been speaking and worshiping and doing all these things that we've stepped on some toes. God, I think you crushed some feet. But I thank you that you love us enough to bring correction and love, to awaken a generation, to awaken a husband, to awaken a father, to awaken a mother and a wife, to greatness inside of them. That as they look back and they see what's going on in their world and they're fed up with the, the darkness and they're fed up with the the. the disappointments, the disillusionments and the, and the lies of the enemy, that they stand together arm in arm to say, it may be unpopular, but it's worth it. It may not be something that's trending, but it's worth it. That God, you give them grace, you give them peace, that the, you guide the conversations as they go home. That some of our, 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 our men here whose spouses may not be with them or even in full agreement, that God, you just give them boldness of the words to say. You give them the righteous words to say, the ladies who are here without their spouses that are, are wanting to go in godliness. God, I just think that you soften the hearts, that you lead by example in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Love you guys. See y'all next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.